Streets and Scholars. Alex Alonso here to bring you another banger. And in this episode, we're going to talk about, we're going to give you an update on the PNB Rock case that happened here in Los Angeles. I'm going to give you a quick update on Slim Foe Hunted. And then um, talk about Tory Lane's sentencing. His sentencing has been finalized. The CDC has, has published his sentencing. And I'll talk about how much time Tory Lanez is really going to do in prison. And then uh, we're going to talk about the Keefe D case out in Las Vegas, Nevada for the 1996 homicide of Tupac Shakur. But uh, before we get into that, man, my Trojans, my USC Trojans squeaked out another victory against primetime Deion Sanders team in Boulder, Colorado. And uh, that, that game actually looked like it was going to be a blowout. But man, um, the final score of that game, I think, was 48. Let me see if I got it here. What was it? 48 to 41. 48 to 41. And USC actually dropped a couple of ranking points. And they're now ranked number nine. They were six. Or they were. I think they made it up to five. So uh, they still won it. 48 to 41. I don't know why they let these uh, guys come back. But it was 21 nothing at some point in the game. But uh, fight on Trojans. All right, so PNB Rock, the brother that was charged in that case back in 2022, Rock, um, what's brother's name? Freddie Lee Trone. Freddie Lee Trone. Freddie Lee Trone, age 40, was charged for that homicide in 2022, and he's still in custody, and he's in custody with a $3 million bail. And him, his step, his son, him, his son, and his, I believe, wife, but it's not the mother of his son. All three of them were charged. The mother or, or the stepmother, Chantrell Trone, 38 years old, she was charged for accessory after the fact. And there had been some reports that the son already took a deal or the son was already sentenced. And him being a juvenile, I have no information on what what happened to the 17 year old son, but I can tell you that Freddie Lee Trone, the guy that was charged with killing PNB rock at that Roscoe's chicken and waffles, he will be in court. He's still going to court on a pretrial hearing on October 30th, 2023 in Compton court. So that case is still ongoing. And also Chantrell Trone will be in that court and, and on, will be in court on that same date as well. And if you guys remember, Chantrell was released she was released, but Freddie Lee Trone is still in custody on $3 million bail. They'll both be in court on October 30th. And give me a thumbs up if you want me to go to court and cover this case. Uh, you know, the, the pretrial hearing on October 30th will probably be relatively quick. But if you want me to tap in on that hearing, uh, it's not too far from me. I will definitely pull up on October 30th in Compton Court. And see what's going on. Give me a thumbs up if you wanna, if you want me to tap in on that case, I will. And a quick update on Slim Fo Hunted. Slim Fo Hunted, aka Vincent Cochran. That was the up-and-coming rapper that was rapping out of uh YG's camp that was shot and killed in Inglewood back in this has been now been almost three years, December 8th, 2021. Uh he was shot and killed 
and they arrested Michael Linnell Terry, 33 of L.A. And they also there was also a female accomplice that was arrested in that case, uh, Tamara Lynn Bell uh, of Inglewood. And they were they were both taken into custody uh, just on, on June 9th of 2022, about six months after. And they're both due in court on November 29th, 2023 for another pretrial hearing. They'll be in Inglewood court and tap in with me if you if you want me to jump in on that case as well. Uh, Slim Foe Hunnett, those are uh, the two people allegedly involved in his death in Inglewood. And also Inglewood court is right down the street from me as well. So I might tap in on that case and find out what's going on. Uh, and and um, that brother also has a $3 million bail. Both of them have $3 million bails. And then um, those. Th- there's a couple other cases, but I think those are the two most, you know, I, according to you guys, those are the ones that are, are, I guess, have the highest interest. The PNB Rock case and the Slim Fo Honey case. And um, I'll definitely tap in on those cases. If they go to trial, I will definitely be there. I'm not sure if I'm going to go to every pre-trial hearing, but if you guys want me to, I'll pull up on them. And I want to get into two more topics, and I'm going to have a guest here. I got a guest here from San Diego. I got a criminal defense attorney from San Diego that's going to help me talk about the Tory Lane sentencing and the Keefe D indictment. Let's pull him up right now. Jamal Kersey. How you doing, man? All is well. All is well. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, tell the people a little bit about, um, about what, what law school you went to and how long you've been practicing. All right, man. I went to uh, the University of San Diego for law school. I went to SDSU for undergrad, so I'm San Diego through and through. Um, and I'm in my 15th year of practicing law, man. So I've been at it for a minute. And are you originally from San Diego, too? I am. Born and raised. Born and raised. Okay. Southeast? Uh, yeah, so I was born in Paradise Valley Hospital. We getting specific. Um, <laughs> live right over near uh, Valencia Park for a hot minute, and then um, I lived in Oceanside um, on the east side um, for the majority of my youth, and then you know lived with my dad uh, back in San Diego. So I've been in, within about a thirty-something mile radius my whole life. Man. That's cool, and you know San Diego. I always consider San Diego our sister city to Los Angeles. I got a lot of partners down there and uh, it's a beautiful city, but it's also got its other side as well. Over there by uh, Euclid and, and Imperial. You familiar with that part part of town? Yeah, 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 of course. I mean, I, I lived I lived nearby there. You know, I do remember going over to the Green Cat Liquor when we, <laughs> when we were youth. I think that's where you're talking about. And the Green Cat Liquor store. Yeah, yeah man. Uh, so that's that's right there on that corner you, you're referring to. But uh no, I mean, you know, you have the 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 postcard, right? The postcard San Diego, and then you got, you know, the real San Diego. And so, yeah, I'm I'm familiar with both. Now, I noticed you was following the Tory Lanez case, and uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Now, he just the CDC just published his release date, which is going to be September 2029. So, I did the math on this, Jamal. September 2029 roughly comes out to about six six years, nine months from December of 2022 when Judge Harryford remanded him. 
Now he gets custody. He gets credit for all that county jail time as well. Right. And um, six years, nine months. Uh, what do you think of that final final time he's going to do for the um, the conviction on the assault and firearm plus the four year enhancement? So so obviously he's having to do more time than, um, you know, what I'm saying than if he were getting 4019 credits. Right. If he were getting the one for one credits, then it might be just, you know, five years. Right. Half half of uh of 10 years but since he's having to do what will end up being what say almost 70 percent um you know then they're 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 hitting him with um having to do a higher percentage probably based on uh on what count one was that 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 uh assault with the semi-automatic firearm so you know um cdcr is going to do what they want to do right so a lot of times you know we'll 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 have sentencing for a client and they may have a strike prior, which means, you know, if they have a, a serious, a serious felony, they're going to have to do 80 percent of that time. If it's a violent felony, they have to do 85 percent of the time versus just doing 50 percent. But that's what it'll say. That's what the judge will tell you. But then when you get to CDCR, they're going to do what they want to do. And oftentimes they'll give people their one for one credit, even though they're supposed to do 80 percent of the time. Um, or even 85% of the time. So in this situation, I mean, if they've already designated that it's going to be, um, you know, that that amount of time, then it, it is reflective of him not getting, um, you know, 4019 credits. But it sounds like it might be a little less than him actually having to do 80%. You're correct. I calculated uh, 66%, which is a, a weird number. Um, but yeah, it's better than the 85% that some people thought he was going to get. But check this out. If this was the 80s or the 90s, he would have got six years for the assault with the firearm. There was no enhancements in the 80s, and he would have did 50% of the six years, which means he would have been he would have been he would have did three. He would be getting out sometime in 2025 instead of 2029. Right. Yeah, those enhancements uh, it, it, it's tricky, man. They're, they're, that's why there's so much uh, you know pushback on these enhancements because, you know, not only does it make your exposure a lot higher, but it also results in a lot of unfairness in terms of negotiations, because at the end of the day, the DA, the offer that they make is going to be obviously based on your criminal history. If you have any, the seriousness of the offense and how strong they feel their case is. And so the stronger they feel their case is, that's going to affect how they negotiate a case. And so, they're also able to tap into that enhancement. So if you have, you know, um, you know, a, a 10 year enhancement, you know, if they allege a, a 10 year gun enhancement just for just for using the gun. Right. You don't have to actually have fired it, but just using the gun in connection with with uh, with any offense, then that's going to make your exposure a lot higher, which is going to make the offer higher. So it can make crimes, you know, that wouldn't be worth 13 years. Right. So you might have an offense that might be just worth three years. But since you had a gun, now they're able to, able to tack on that 10 year enhancement. And so then your offer might be five or, you know, it might be six when, you know, it really should be, you know, 12 months or, or, or 16 months or, or, or what have you. So it can really have a dramatic effect on on plea negotiations and how somebody assesses whether they should take a deal or not. Now, there were reports that he was offered a four year deal by the L.A. District Attorney's Office and he turned that down. Uh, when, when, when you're dealing with a client and they're, they're offering you something that is at least half of what you could end up, well, actually he, there was no way he's going to end up with 20 years, but let's say 
You know that if he's found guilty, he's going to get somewhere between 10 and 13. They're offering four years. How do you communicate with your client on whether or not he takes the deal or not? So, you know, and and you're right in, in, sorry, it looks like I'm, my screen is freezing. Do you, do you hear me straight? I hear you perfectly. Okay. So, you know, his exposure based on the, uh, the prosecution's memo, their sentencing memo was 22 years and eight months. Right. And so you always have to let someone know what their max exposure is. They have a right to know, you know, what the max exposure is, but the reality is that's in the absolute worst case scenario and the absolute worst case scenario almost never happens. Right. So, so you have to be mindful of what that exposure is, but you know, it's, it's, it's not what it is. So you want to give them a, a realistic idea of what they would be facing, you know, if you do get found guilty, if you were to go to trial. And so, you know, with what that offer was initially, um, you know, given what he was facing and given, you know, what appears to be the strength of, of the prosecution's case, that would have been an offer that he should have taken. I mean, I, I understand that, um, you know, he has immigration issues and obviously um, he is able to get a lot of money here in the United States. And so that that was going to factor in because if he were to sign that deal, if he were to sign something related to, you know, assault with a deadly weapon and have anything more than a year sentence on it, then that's going to be basically signing up for your deportation. So I, I in addition to doing criminal defense, I defended deportation cases for over 10 years. And so I'm very intimately familiar with how, um, you know, how those laws work. And so, yeah, I mean, it's hard for somebody to stomach with, you know, little to no criminal history a deal in which you are essentially guaranteeing your deportation. And so it wouldn't matter. You know, I know he, I think recently got married, but he has a, a kid here, you know, the, all, none of that stuff would matter. So the discretionary factors that can usually help you avoid a deportation, none of that would have mattered. All the, all the activism he does, all the donations he does in the community, having a U.S. citizen uh, child, none of that would have mattered. There's no discretion. He'd have been deported. So I think that mixed with just the sheer arrogance um, you know, and let's just call it like it is. I mean, he, he wasn't moving. He wasn't moving like a dude that was facing, <laughs> as facing assault with a deadly weapon charges. Cause was it while, while that case was pending was when he got into it with August Alcina, right? Yeah. You know I mean, out in Chicago. And so it's like, yo, and, and, and this is what baffles me in terms of like the real ones that you're supposed to have in your camp. If you have real ones in your camp, they're supposed to not let you get into things like this they're supposed to not put the battery in your back when you're when you're out on bail facing assault with deadly weapon charges and you're facing 22 years in prison like again even though that's not you know that's the worst case scenario that's not gonna happen you want to be you know moving around like a saint you want to be moving around like an altar boy in these streets not you know catching new cases out of town which you know they could have taken them into custody um, you know, they, they, their exercise of discretion, I think allowed him to, um, to stay out, but that, you know, that that's, and I don't know how that resolved that, that case in Chicago, but, uh, he definitely was moving recklessly and, and you would like to see, you know, people that's supposed to be in your corner helping you, you know, make right moves and, and not doing things like that. And also toss, talking sense into him to let him know like this in hey, it's if you go to trial and you go down on this, which. You know, it appeared that that he was going to then you got to you got to consider this deal. And, uh, you know, to kind of build on top of that, there was the issue of the email that came out um, from his former counsel. And I know there's a lot of, you know, conspiracy theories 
going around, you know, in terms of Rock Nation and what their influence may or may not have been in this situation. But, you know, the, the reason why I think this is so fascinating is because you really you would never have an opportunity to see an email from a lawyer to their defense attorney. And we got a chance to see that. We got a chance to see the, the that email from from uh, from Miss Holly saying, hey, listen, listen, I, I don't think that we should or I wouldn't feel comfortable moving forward with this uh, with the Kelsey defense. Right. Because there's a whole idea of, you know, Kelsey did it and, and Tori didn't do it. And to see that insight again, this this is something that we've we've never really seen. And, and you'll probably never see again, because the way these stars essentially had to align is we had to have a celebrity um, defendant, right? A, a celebrity facing charges that, you know, brought attention to this, right? Because people shoot at people all the time, but it doesn't make news headlines because you don't have one of the biggest uh, rap stars on the planet. And then, you know what I mean? Then you have uh, Tory Lanez, who's, you know, a star in his own right. So that's what made this, you know, uh, visible on the national stage. But then on top of that, him uh, having this issue in which they alleged that she had rendered ineffective assistance of counsel. And so when you go after your attorney in order to put that on, because, you know, the, the, the communications between attorney client are privileged. Right. And so, you know, we all we all have secrets that will you know go to the grave with us. Right. But in this situation, if you're calling out your attorney, then you have to on some level um, waive that attorney client privilege so that they, so that the court can really assess to see whether or not your your attorney rendered ineffective assistance. So that's how this email ended up leaking, where she's saying, hey, listen, you know, um, we want to see, you know, we want to see you submit to a mock cross examination. And we want to see I think it was the driver, um, the driver slash security submitted to a mock cross examination. And even if even if you perform well, even if both of you perform well, which I don't think you will, but if you do, I still wouldn't uh, I still wouldn't feel comfortable trying to put this on Kelsey. And so that says so much because, you know, the, the defense attorney, you know, our loyalty is to our client. You know what I mean? And so if there's nobody else in the world who's, you know, supposed to have your back and, and, and be able to say, hey, this is going to work or this is not like, listen, this this woman had the luxury and benefit of going through all the stuff that we'll never know that we'll never see, you know, so they went through all the discovery, reviewed it with him. And, you know, you, you, you never ask your client, Hey, did you do this? You don't do that. Um, and you know, we could get into why, but that that's a whole nother conversation, but you never ask your client that you, you, you go through them with the discovery and you, you ask for their take on it. You know what I'm saying? So then they're able to give you, you know, what their defense theory is. And it's a collaboration. You're coming up with this defense. So when that would have come out, like, oh, well, we're putting it on Kelsey and she's going to go through and, and assess and analyze it. And, and trust me, I mean, if she felt like that was going to be a viable defense, if, hey, if we can if we can put it on Kelsey and 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 get the heat off of you. OK, let's do that. And you and you might if it's convincing enough, you might even be able to avoid going to trial. Right. Because. One of the things that, you know, we if, if, if you if you go the extra mile with this and this is what we do at Kersey Law, we prepare all of our cases as if they were going to trial. Right. So and, and, and when you do that, that's when you're able to, you know, uh, expose the holes that are going to be in the prosecution's case, because if you can do that, no, no D.A., you know, D.A.'s want to have as close to 100 percent 
you know, win re- record as possible. No DA wants to look like a fool and and get end up definitely not an acquittal, right? Definitely not an acquittal, but but they don't want to they don't want a hung jury either. They don't want to mistrial. They want to get 12 jurors all saying, you know, that the that the defendant is guilty. And so if you're able to present information to the prosecutor to say, "Hey, Mr. Prosecutor, hey, Miss Prosecutor, you're not going to be able to prove your case beyond a reasonable doubt for X, Y, and Z reasons." If they're not bullheaded, if they're not stubborn, if they have presence of mind and if they're not inexperienced, they're going to take that information and say, "Okay, all right, especially if you have credibility. That's why your reputation as an attorney is so important. You know, you don't want to be cutting corners and be slimy because then they can't put no you know, they can't put any stock in your in your in your representations. Right. Because it's all based on what you're saying. Right. And so if you have a bad rep- reputation, then they're not going to really be able to believe what it is that you're saying. But if I tell a prosecutor, hey, you are not going to be able to prove your case beyond a reasonable doubt for these reasons, then they're going to put stock in that. And they may consider, you know, uh, making a new offer that's that's more uh, reasonable given the circumstances or in some instances it can result in a dismissal. So with all that being said, as a backdrop, <laughs> if we didn't have that happen, then, you know, and 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 I don't you know, I don't know that attorney personally or, or anything like that. But I'm just saying you know, at the end of the day, um, if this were a viable defense and that's something that they would have been able to use instead, it looked like they went in the direction of trying to basically muddy, uh, you know, make the stallion's name, um, you know, attack her credibility and all of that. And, and that's, that's good for sound bites. You know, you watch that and, 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 and you can, you know, and I know there's a a bunch of opinions on the internet about her lying and the original lies and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, those type of attacks only go so far, right? So you can, you know, because a person can a lot, a person can lie a thousand times about all kinds of different things. And they can be telling the truth about the one thing that is the only issue that matters in the case. And so if you, um, he said, I'm talking too much. That's what I got brought on here for. <laughs> I brought it. You, you just want to look at me. You, want to look at you guys me. are listening to a criminal defense attorney, you know, give you his, uh, his insight. So, so, so at, at the end of the day, you needed to have somebody be able to directly refute the things that Megan was talking about. If you couldn't do that, then this was the only logical result that was going to end up happening. Well, Sean Holly was clearly aware of the statement that Kelsey gave to the prosecutors a few months before trial, and she knew that it was probably going to be a difficult task to blame to blame Kelsey as the shooter. But before we move on to Keefe D, I got four more questions on Tory Lanez based on what you said. Uh, the first one's about immigration. You're saying that he would be he would be deported regardless. But what's the whole purpose of having the immigration hearing if you're allowed to fight it? And from what I understand, if you have children that are U.S. born and you have a family, that is one possibility of uh, one possible way of fighting uh, deportation. Um, Am I right about that? Yeah. So so he would have a right to, um, you know, to removal proceedings. Right. Because that that privilege of having a green card and being able to remain in the United States, you have you have due process rights. Right. So even people who have who don't have a green card, um, you know, at the end of the day, they you know, if you have no status at all, you've been in the United States illegally, you still have due process rights to be able to put your case in front of the court. The question is whether you would have a defense that would allow you to be able to stay in the United States. And so the the remedy that he likely would have ended up applying for is called cancellation of removal. 
And so cancellation of removal is basically a remedy to help you avoid deportation. You have to have been in the United States, um, you know, at least uh, or five years, or you have to have been a, a green card holder for five years, been in the United States for at least seven years, um, and exer- and 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 deserve relief as a as a matter of discretion by the judge. But the issue is you cannot have an aggravated felony, and so there's a whole list of offenses that are considered an aggravated felony, and under immigration law, those are considered like the worst of the offenses. One of those would be a crime of violence uh, for which you were sentenced to at least a year or more. And so clearly an assault with a deadly weapon would be a crime of violence. Um, even if the, the deal in the best case uh, of circumstances would be four years, that's, that's clearly in excess of a year. So with that aggravated felony, that would have barred him from being able to request cancellation of removal, which would have meant that he would have had no remedies um, to be able to, you know what I mean, uh, to, to, to be able to save himself from deportation. So essentially, I mean, he could go through the motions, but there's just no way he would have been able to avoid deportation. Okay. And then another question that a lot of people ask me is like, even though he shot a firearm and perhaps it was fragments that went into her foot, I know here in Los Angeles, we take gun crime very serious. So even if you shoot a gun into an inhabited building where no, there's no victims, yep. you're still going to prison. Um, can you, is it like, is it as strict down in San Diego when you just shoot a gun with zero victims, they're going to prosecute that to the fullest? Yeah. I'm, I'm actually dealing with that issue right now. A dispute as to whether, you know, a client of mine had actually shot into an inhabited dwelling, right? There are people there and, and there were shots that were fired within the vicinity of a house that was occupied, but he wasn't at all shooting at this house and and yet that's a charge that that he's fighting so yeah it's it's definitely um consistent but um but at the end of the day i mean with an assault with a a firearm or with an assault with a deadly weapon in general you don't actually have to you know make contact with somebody you know there it can just be based on um an act which you know is likely to cause great bodily injury. So, you know, he, he didn't need to actually physically shoot her in order for, um, you know, for a jury to find him guilty of, you know, an assault with a semi-automatic firearm. And I think that's something, you know, that, that a lot of people don't understand and, you know, not through any fault of their own. It's just that the laws are sometimes complex and, and what the, the, the name of the statute says isn't necessarily what the DA would end up having to prove. And it doesn't matter that her foot healed within a couple of weeks and she was twerking on the dance floor uh, a month later. That does not uh, take away from the severity of the offense. Right. Uh, I mean, you know, it, 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 it is a mitigating factor. Right. And if I'm the defense attorney, I'm definitely stating that, you know, I'm, I'm saying that, you know, because let's just say he blew her whole foot off. Right. And that's that's certainly going to be an aggravating factor. Right. But if she you know, suffered very little injury, was able, you know, to twerk within, you know, days or weeks from um, the incident, then that's certainly going to be a mitigating factor that we're going to to use as part of, you know, uh, reducing or, or making the counter offer that's going to be more realistic given the circumstances. But in terms of, you know, whether he was good for um, a, uh, an assault with a semi-automatic firearm based on, you know, what the allegations were, then, then yeah, he, he, he would have been. Now, lastly, 
uh, a lot of the social media posts became a, a central part of this case. And the DAs did not hesitate on bringing up things that Tory Lanez posted. He tried to minimize the offense. He tried to taunt Megan the Stallion. When you have a client with uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, how do you get that person and convince that person to say, do not post, do not use the internet, do not mention this case at all? Was he getting bad advice or was he just not listening to his counsel? Um, it, it could be a combination of both. Listen, I, I can only look at what, what we've all seen, right? And you can look at a person's moves. You can look at you know how they move, their demeanor and the like. Um, there was nothing that suggested to me that he would have been taking any advice to, to just chill. Right. And if I'm his legal counsel, which if you're operating at that level, you know, he, you know, he is a, a business, right? He's not only an artist, but he himself is a business. And there's a lot of people that are, you know, uh, that, that he's responsible for. And there's a, there's, there's moves that are made to protect a brand and protect that. And you would like to think that, Hey, listen, if you're under investigation or you're being charged with something like this, you need to not be making any statements on, on Instagram. You need to not be going live talking about your case. Why? You know, because <laughs> when they say anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law, I don't know why people think like that's a joke <laughs> or why people think that's not real. Because listen, now these days, this day and age, Right now, I have I have forty thousand pages of Instagram posts for a, a client who's you know facing some serious charges, and they go through everything. They go to Meta, you know, so Meta is a parent company of Facebook and Instagram, and they get a subpoena and they say, "Hey, we want all the files, we want all the videos, all the DMs, all the posts, all the comments," and they you know they really get after people. So social media posts can be the subject of a gang enhancement. Social media posts can be the subject of criminal threats charges. There's a lot of different things that they are able to use social media. So definitely the advice would have had to have been like, you just stay off social media. Just, just, just let that go. You probably have a team that can, that can do posts for you and, and promote your music and do all of that. But you personally, you just need to be away from that. And I, I, I have to think that either somebody in his camp personally or his legal team definitely would have told him not to do it. And he did it anyway. So, you know, you, you can only say so much, but people are going to do what they're going to do. I believe it did hurt his case. Uh, the prosecutor used that in his, in his arguments to the court. Uh, the judge was fully aware of the things he said, and, and it can, it can never be a good look when you're making statements about the victim in the case. Right. So, um, <laughs> All right, let's um video that video definitely. <laughs> what was that yeah, with the with the uh the knife and at the butcher shop and everything that he yeah oh yeah the music video I wasn't even I wasn't even thinking about the music video right now I was just thinking about some of the posts that he made he did he did a few videos he did some Instagrams he did some posts about um basically saying that Megan didn't get shot and I just don't think that's that's to your your um that that goes against your strategy right absolutely and the strategy should be to say nothing to post nothing and if you're an artist you shouldn't even be creating art like a music video or a song about the case you're about to go on for trial you know it's just 
some some of his actions just uh, are outlandish, and uh, at the end of the day, it didn't hurt. But he will be getting released in 2029, December of 2029. He could possibly get some good credit for some courses and classes and programs that he gets himself involved in. Yeah. You usually get about two to three weeks credit. So, you know, if he's trying to knock off, you know, six months, he's going to have to do a lot of programs. And then he still has his appeal. Right. So, you know, we'll see what happens with that. And um, I'll bring you on for a conversation about a, a possible appeal issues on another date. All right. But, uh, and, 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 you know, since we're, 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 we're talking about all the mistakes, I do hope, you know, cause it sounded like in his, um, argument to be released um, that he cited or his argument for, for a lesser sentence. He wanted to go into a rehab program. He said that he suffers from alcoholism um, and has some, you know, some mental health issues. Um, and, and I think, you know, he, he should get the hope, help that he needs. I hope that he does. You know, I certainly I'm not going to be the one that that, uh, you know, wishes bad on a brother. I definitely want to see us all um, succeed. And if he's got some demons that he's got to work through, then I hope, you know, sometimes, you know, when you're just moving too fast, you need to have that time, you know, to take a pause. I can't tell you how many mothers and fathers that I've spoken to where they said, hey, you know, I, I hate to see my baby in jail, but I'm so glad that he's in jail because otherwise he could be dead right now. You know what I mean? So 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 there's there's always a silver line in there. And I, I really sincerely hope he gets the help that he needs, um, you know, and, and comes out better on the other side. Yeah, definitely. I believe that he's going to enroll in some programs at prison that will help him get some time knocked off. But in terms of his music career, um, and then you're saying the deportation, you, you need the United States. You need to be in the United States to really, you know, to, to be that artist, that successful artist that can tour, that could, um, you know, make the money that you were making before. And, and I don't I don't see him being able to bounce back from all that if he's going to get that deportation. He's going to miss most of his his 30s if he when he gets out in six years and then he's going to be deported for whoever knows how long and i don't know if he can come back as an artist uh, i know that's probably outside of your your expertise but being that deportation is going to add some more years to the to the sentence he already has is there a possible comeback for tory lanes as an artist in his 40s so I, I don't think that he comes back to the United States, but I don't think that's necessary in order to, you know, be whatever you, you know, deem to be successful. I mean, there are a lot of artists now who were big in the 90s who get crazy money overseas. You know what I'm saying? So there, you know, there's definitely bags to be gotten in in uh, in Japan, in Europe, in, you know, where, wherever you want to think. Um, so he doesn't need to be in the United States um, to get money. And and hey, by the time he gets out, I mean, the way that we're moving with, you know, just digital streaming and everything, you do a concert from, you know, you could do a concert from your bedroom. Right. We saw what what, what we we're able to do with these verses. So, you know, if you if you get a, a slick team behind you, there's going to be a way to to continue to get to the bag. I think, you know, as long as you're putting out quality music, um, which he clearly has the capability to do, you know, then then you can definitely get to it. Obviously, it would be beneficial to be in the United States, but he certainly doesn't need to be. Now, if you're barred from the United States, are there other countries that kind of jump on the bandwagon and say, well, you're not welcomed here either? You mentioned Japan, but are there some countries that will be tough to travel to if you've been banned from the United States? You know, now that you say that, I, I just realized, I mean, Canada is Canada's laws are, are more strict than than ours when it comes to immigration. 
if you if you have a DUI, you can get into the United States. You can't get into Canada. So that might be problematic for um, for him now that, you know, now that I think about it. So I see somebody put in the in the comments, hologram Tory. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> you make it do what it do. So, yeah, moving moving throughout the world might be a challenge, but I'm sure there, there's there's some countries that will let him in. He, he He'll find a way to get to it. All right, man, let's uh, talk about uh, Keefe D. He was just in, indicted on one charge of murder 27 years later. I don't think I can recall a, a case that's 27 years later that doesn't have DNA involved in it. You know, this is <laughs> this is a non-DNA case. And um, I want to play a clip first from the press conference of the detective. And then we'll talk about uh, we'll talk about it. So let me um, play this clip real quick. And um, then we'll come back to it. My name is Jason Johansson, and I'm the homicide lieutenant with the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department. And my goal here today is to walk you through our investigation and what led us to the indictment of Dwayne Davis, also known as Keefe D, for the murder of Tupac Shakur. This case has been reviewed by our homicide team and homicide detectives for over two and a half decades. And ultimately, our persistence in this investigation has paid off. Let me walk you through a timeline of events uh, that, as we know them right now. Prior to September 7th of 1996, as we all know, Tupac Shakur was an artist who was signed with Death Row Records. And that Death Row Records and its CEO, Marion Suge Knight, were closely affiliated with the Mob Piru criminal street gangs. And that they had an ongoing feud with the Southside Compton Crips. Dwayne Davis was the leader and shot caller of the Southside Compton Crips. And both of these gangs operated out of the Southern California area of Compton. On the night of September 7th of 1996, Tupac Shakur, along with Suge Knight, and members of their entourage, which include members of Mob Piru, came to Vegas to attend the Mike Tyson fight at the MGM Grand Garden Arena. Members of the Southside Compton Crips, which included Dwayne Davis, along with his nephew Orlando Anderson, were also in attendance at the same event. As both were leaving the fight, members of Death Row Records spotted Orlando Anderson near an elevator bay bank inside the MGM. And at that time, they began to kick and punch him near that elevator bank. I will now show you hotel security footage, as many of you have already seen, related to this incident. And on this incident, you will see Tupac Shakur, who's wearing a shiny satiny shirt, along with Marion Suge Knight, who's a large man in a brown suit, punching and kicking Orlando Anderson. Following this incident, you'll see hotel security intervene, and then they will leave the area of the fight. Little did anyone know that it is this incident right here that would ultimately lead to the retaliatory shooting and death of Tupac Shakur. Following this incident, Tupac and Suge Knight both left the MGM to make their way to a post-fight party, which was to occur at a local nightclub. 
At the same time, word had spread amongst members of the Southside Compton Crips of what had occurred inside the MGM. And then that's when Dwayne Davis began to devise a plan to obtain a firearm and retaliate against Suge Knight and Mr. Shakur for what occurred inside the hotel against Mr. Anderson. After Davis obtained a gun, he entered into a white Cadillac along with Terrence Brown, DeAndre Smith, and Orlando Anderson. Based on our investigation, this is where we know they were seated. At some point in time, as they were in the white Cadillac, Mr. Davis took the gun that he had obtained and provided it to the passengers in the rear seat of the vehicle. As they were both, as they were driving west on Flamingo Road near Koval, they located the black BMW, which was driven by Suge Knight, and then the passenger seat was Tupac Shakur. And as they turned around, they pulled up near the passenger side of that vehicle and immediately began shooting at Mr. Knight and Mr. Shakur. Following that shooting, the white Cadillac fled the area southbound on Koval. And as our, after our officers arrived on scene, Tupac was later transported to the University Medical Center where he was treated medically and died approximately six days later on September 13th. My homicide section handled this investigation from its onset and for a short amount of time. And within a short amount of time, what we knew was that we were working a gang investigation where our victims, our witnesses, and our suspects were all from Southern California and not local to Las Vegas. Within the first few months of the investigation, our detectives knew most of the information I just briefed you on. However, we never had the necessary evidence to bring this case forward and present it for criminal charges. As time went on, this case had been reviewed multiple times by different investigators assigned to my section, but it wasn't until 2018 that this case was reinvigorated as additional information came to light related to this homicide. Specifically, Dwayne Davis's own admissions to his involvement in this homicide investigation that he provided to numerous different media outlets. In our section, we knew at this time that this was likely our last time to take a run at this case to successfully solve this case and bring forth a criminal charge. It was at that time that this case was assigned to Cliff Mogg, a detective within my homicide section. And over the last five years, this, my section worked closely, hand in hand with the Clark County District Attorney's Office and followed a systematic investigative plan over the last five years. We've conducted countless interviews and corroborated numerous facts that were not only consistent with the crime scene on the night of the incident, but also corroborated and were consistent with the sequence of events that night. This ultimately led to us procuring a search warrant which was executed at Mr. Davis's residence in Henderson, Nevada. And following the execution of that search warrant, in close coordination with the District Attorney's Office, this case was presented to the grand jury, which ultimately led to Davis being indicted on charges of murder. Before I hand it off to the District Attorney's Office, I would be remiss if I didn't thank Detective Mogg 
and all the other detectives that were not only assigned this case and reviewed this case, but all the other detectives from other agencies that assisted us in this investigation. They know who they are, and thank you very much for all the assistance you provided. It does not go unnoticed. And lastly, one of the most important things, in my opinion, is we need to make this be a reminder that the charge of murder does not have a statute of limitations. This agency has been and is invested in solving our cold case homicides so that we can bring closure to those families and justice for those victims of homicide. And with that, I will turn it over to the Clark County District Attorney. All right, that was just the other day. Clark County authorities charged uh, Keefe D one count of murder. Jamal, I want you to break down how is this possible even though Keefe D had a proffer agreement with uh, L.A. and federal authorities uh, several years ago when he admitted to this to the shooting. Um, man, just first of all, seeing that picture of, of Tupac is still after all these years is just so eerie to see that look on his face. Um, it, it's, it's still tough to look at all these years later. Um, but to answer that question, um, you know, th this is a different state, right? So we're, we're in Nevada. Um, and I don't think that they would necessarily be bound by, um, you know, by a, a proffer in California. That's, a, that's definitely a, a legal issue to look into, but ultimately the reason it appears at this point, why they didn't pursue on the information that he provided was because it was, you know, a, a limited non-prosecution agreement. So they would not be able to use his confession against him. But then what ends up happening is if you are making a number of statements independent of that agreement, right? So he's done a, you know, Vlad TV, all these different, uh, you know, media outlets telling his story and the book, right? <laughs> so if, you, if, you're, if you're making all these statements independent of that um, statement that you gave, that's where you know, they're able to do this. And, you know, it is it is a little suspect why it's happening this long later. But, you know, detectives can come back and, and look at files and, and say, hey, man, I've been seeing this dude giving all these interviews and, and making statements um, and say, hey, man, let's 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 open this thing back up. I mean, and that happens pretty often. I mean, we, we don't hear about it because, you know, celebrities are not involved. But, you know, uh, detectives will dig up cold cases all the time and see if they can you know, look at it from a different angle um, and, and try and move forward with it. And and so when we saw um, in July, when they went ahead and executed that that search warrant, it was like, OK, man, it's on. And then we hear about, OK, now it's going in front of a grand jury. And then now we hear, obviously, charges um, proceeding. Yeah, the, the investigators in Clark County, Las Vegas, Nevada, said that they reopened this case in 2018. They didn't really say why in 2018, but in 2018, it's when Keefe D gave an interview for a BET called Death Row Chronicles. And in that documentary for BET is when he first admits to participating in the homicide outside of that proffer agreement. So even though he's protected by that same admission in the proffer agreement, just because if you repeat it somewhere else, you're not under that protection. Exactly. 
So if we do the timeline on this 2018, that's the Death Row Chronicles interview for BET. And then the following year in 2019, he publishes his book. And I think that kind of put the nail in the coffin for him is the, I know you mentioned the Vlad TV interview, but that the Vlad TV interview came after the book. Right. The, uh, the Death Row Chronicles was 2018. Then the book was 2019. And, um, a lot of people ask me, but how can what you write in a book be used against you? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I mean, any anything you say, anything that you publish, anything that comes out on your behalf can ultimately ultimately be used against you. So whether you're sitting down for an interview, whether you're writing letters now, if, if it's a writing right in a book or a letter or something like that, then it is going to be a little different from you being on tape saying something. And still, you know, there's going to be some scrutiny um, in that. But at the end of the day, I mean, obviously, um, Compton Street Legend was a book, is autobiography. Um, he's talking about these things. Um, so these these are words from him. And, you know, obviously, the, all the, the, the media that he was doing was in promotion of this book. So there's no ambiguity as to whether and, and he wasn't this wasn't like a joke. He wasn't presenting this as you know, a, a parody or anything like that. Like, nah, this was, you know, actual fact. Um, at least that's how he was representing it. And so, yeah, those those statements can certainly be used against him. And that's why, you know, they, they don't even really need the, the information from the proffer, even though they've been sitting on this information all these years in terms of how this thing went down. Now, I read the book that Keefe D published and I was actually asked to write a, an intro to the book. So they sent me an advanced copy and I read the book. But when he starts writing about the part where they shoot Tupac, he actually, for the first time ever, says that Tupac pulled the gun out first. So I was thinking to myself, is this guy anticipating that perhaps this book can get him indicted? But now he has a self-defense argument to claim. But he had never in 20 something years, he didn't tell Greg Kading that of the LAPD. That was never part of the proffer when he was told to tell all the truth. He never said anything about Tupac having a gun. The first time we hear about it is in this book. What's the chances of him trying to use self-defense? Or Well, we know the chances are 100%, but what's the chances of it even working now that he just wrote in the book, uh, Tupac pulled a gun out? Because if they're going to use the book against him, don't, don't they have to consider everything he wrote in the book? Well, I mean even if they didn't want to consider everything he's going to take the stand right because you can't you can't assert self-defense without taking the stand so if he were to go to trial then he would presumably say that that hey you know they pulled out first and then we did what we did i think it you know the credibility of such a statement ends up getting attacked if you did not um say that in your in your proffer and you know one thing and i'm, I'm sure you know um, they say, hey, if you lie about anything, this deal is off the table. And so there's a lot of pressure there because it's my understanding, you know, there was a lot of weight being moved around and he was facing life based on this, you know, drug case that they had built up against him. And that's what led to this, uh, this proffer session. So his attorney would have definitely emphasized to him and the prosecutor and the whatever agents were there would have definitely emphasized to him and they sit up and and they they nitpick through every little detail that you give them so and they say hey <laughs> they tell you hey what you're saying we're going to investigate it and if you're lying about any of this stuff then you know it's going to come back to you and i know that they did actually end up 
Um, they ended up speaking to Orlando Anderson, and then you know he obviously got shot and killed. Um, but they were going to do everything that they could to to make sure that everything checked out. So if he didn't mention it there, then it's pretty safe to say. And again, that you know you you're signing off that everything that you're saying is true and correct um, to the best of your knowledge. So obviously that's a big thing to leave out in a proper session if you know Tupac or 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 Suge or, or you know had pulled out first. So you know that's that, that's probably not going to be very very credible. But I mean, if that's your only play then, you know, you got to do what you can. And maybe somebody might believe, you know, because at the end of the day, the prosecutor would end up having to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that he was not acting in self-defense. So, you know, you never know what a jury's going to do. So, hey, you got to try what you got to try. Well, this is, the, this is the 2018 interview that, uh, according to Las Vegas authorities, reopened the case up. And I'm, I'm going to play this quick two-minute clip. This is uh, from the BET Death Row Chronicles. Keefe D and his entourage get into a white Cadillac along with Keefe D. The driver is a guy named Terrence Brown. They call him a bubble up behind the driver. is DeAndre Smith. He's in the left rear passenger seat. And Keefe D's nephew, Orlando Anderson, he's sitting behind the uh, right front passenger seat. All south side crips. One of the homies said they uh, death row guys were going to have a concert at the 662 Club. So we went to the 662 Club. I ran the door at the 662. I seen Orlando and them when they pulled up in the Cadillac. And I told my homies, Southside's up here. My homies that was at 662, everybody had their guns. We knew it was going to be something. They said about five minutes. Tupac and Shook, they didn't ever show up. So we left. Keefe D and crew go back towards the strip. Stop and got some liquor. We was gonna party and shit. Got our little drinks. Meanwhile, Tupac and Shug are driving towards the 662 Club. Behind them, there are some girls screaming, Tupac, Tupac. We came up uh, Harlem. Oh, shit. Here he coming at BMW. All the chicks was like, Tupac, Tupac. And he was like, hey, like a celebrity, like he was in a parade. He wouldn't even been out the window. We would have never seen him. My partner busted you. When we pulled up, I was in the front seat. Happen to see my friend, Chuck. Chuck looks over, he sees you. Yeah. He looks right at you. Yeah, he looks at me. You said the shots came from the back. Big Dre, Orlando. Who shot Tupac? They keep it for the cold of the streets. It just came from the back seat, bro. All right. Of course, when he um, when he gave the proffer, he clearly said that Orlando Anderson uh, was the shooter. Um, is it possible no witnesses 
and they get a conviction out of this? There, it doesn't appear that there's going to be any witnesses from 1996. Right. Um, and and one of the things, you know, to to one of the, the comments, I mean, definitely there's 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 a way that you could try and wiggle around what you had said in the proffer. Obviously, you know, in and actually from what I've seen and I don't know if it's true or not, he put it on uh, on Big Dre um, in that statement. You know, it could have been I, I suppose it could have been Orlando or uh, or Big Dre. But either way, in this video, he has said um you know, that it was somebody in the backseat, but he could have said, Hey, you know, I wasn't trying to snitch on, on Pac or, you know, or whoever was over there, you know? So if you're, <laughs> if you're picking and choosing when you want to apply the street code, you know, that could be why you decided, Hey, well, I wasn't going to say that because, because obviously the shots came from somewhere, right? You can't say they, you know, they magically, <laughs> you know, it may, you know, emerged from the car and went into so so somebody shot a shot a gun. If you should just say they came from the back, um, then they came from the back seat. But in terms of you know somebody else, whether it were Suge or Pop um, pulling out first, you could say, hey man, well I didn't want to I didn't want to say nothing. You know, I didn't want to 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 snitch, and that's why I didn't mention it. But now here on the stand in front of the jury, I'm telling you the truth, and they pulled out first, and we were acting in self defense. And that just makes it like, who's going to contradict that? You know, then you got, you got Suge. So it's a, it's an interesting, uh, <laughs> it's an interesting set of facts to, to have to play with to try and, you know, parse through who would be telling the truth and who's not. Now, hypothetically, if you was a licensed criminal defense attorney in the state of Nevada and he calls you up for defense, Keefe D, uh, what's, what's the strongest possible strategy that this guy has? Um, I think, you know, just that if if there's already some sort of um, mention that he's made, obviously, in this book that they were acting in self-defense, then that's probably going to be the best. And again, it's a little difficult when you have already given a proper session and you never you never mentioned it. But again, you know, there are reasons. And 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 listen, I mean, the 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 street code um is what led to this whole situation happening and it's not always logical in fact most of the time it's not right and so you could say hey man that's that's why i didn't that's why i didn't say it i was only gonna say what i had to say and nothing nothing beyond that but as i you know as i sit here and tell you that hey this is this is what the defense is we were acting in self-defense or you know if that's not the case i mean at the end of the day you know the the, the attorney can't put forth some sort of theory that, you know, isn't viable. You can't knowingly put something that you just know to be blatantly false um, on. And you would want to sit down with your client and 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 walk through that testimony. And if you're not convinced, just like we were talking before, then you would say, hey, this is not this just is not a viable strategy. And then you might just rely on cross-examining the 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 prosecution's witnesses and the like. But you know, at the end of the day, I mean, you know, he obviously had indicated that he got you know, he had gotten the gun um, from one of his homies out there after he heard about this situation. And this was basically uh, a retaliation. And so, you know, it being that from what I've seen, I mean, he's he's been saying, hey, man, if if I got to go to prison for the rest of my life, then that just is what it is. I haven't seen anything that suggests that he's not just about to, you know, go down on this. But but we'll see. I mean, a lot of this has all been about, you know, promoting a book. So being able to get money from this, obviously, there's a you know, if it would just some other dude that it, that they end up smoking in the streets and it wouldn't matter. But obviously, since it's 
a a legend that they ended up killing there's there's a great amount of significance that comes from that and i think the other part of it is you know and a lot of times he, he you know in some interviews it sounds like he he shows remorse about this other situation but in other ones he doesn't and so you know from from his eyes it just seemed like yo pop was just another street dude who who made a mistake that got him killed you know obviously attacking his family um and 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 that's the way they 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 dealt with this situation so you know with there not being that level of remorse and even kind of making light and making fun of the situation you know he's been able to get a lot of money um you know from book sales i imagine and and streams and and whatever he's getting from that and then on top of that just the significance of having had a hand in calling the shots and taking out somebody who you know from from his perspective he didn't really respect like that um but it just gave him more significance because he you know he had a hand in taking that man out i find it ironic that this guy admits to committing this homicide against tupac shakur in vegas and then decides to make vegas or technically henderson uh, right next to vegas his home for the, for the next several years living right down the street from where he committed this I don't even know if we say allegedly. He admitted it, right? Is it still allegedly? Illegally? Is it still allegedly? Or since he admitted it in a proffer, it's not even allegedly anymore. Um, I mean, it'll it'll still be allegedly until, you know, until he admits, um, you know, guilt, either by way of some sort of plea agreement that just will not happen, or he goes to trial and he's found guilty. So it'll still be um, allegedly. Okay. Um, I, I anticipate that Clark County is going to add some more charges because there's so many more charges that could hit him with a felon in possession of a gun, maybe transporting a firearm across state lines, uh, you know, uh, other sorts of assault with a firearm, attempted murder on Suge Knight. He was grazed with a bullet. Uh, uh, why do you think he, they just came out with just one count during the press conference when you know that there's like six, seven, eight counts they could probably hit him with? Yeah, I found that to be um, somewhat peculiar, but you know, at the end of the day, um, they they certainly can add those charges. And since they went through it via a grand jury, then they've already put you know. Well, actually, I mean, the grand jury only indicted on the the murder count, but they still can um, you know add add charges. There certainly could be an attempted murder on Suge. I think he got hit in the head. Um, and he had actually said that Pac joked with him about it, right? He was like, yo, you, you asking me if I'm all right, you got hit in the head, um, which just, you know, speaks to, to, to Pac's personality. But yeah, they, they definitely could have, um, hit, hit more charges. I think, you know, conspiracy definitely would have, would have been in there and, and should be given the facts, but, um, you know, but, but the, the murder charge, that principal count, maybe it's just, you know, sending a message that, hey, you are being, indicted or you have been indicted for murder and we leave it at that yeah i think the brother you was met you mentioned that he got the firearm from uh allegedly is a guy named von zip who is uh deceased he died of cancer uh a few years back and apparently von zip was sean combs p diddy's right hand man at the time so there's been all this talk that um is is keefy d going to bring down the whole house and tell the entire story of not only where he got the gun from, but who he was uh, allegedly committing this hit for. I mean, this is, this sounds like a future soap opera in the works. Yeah, I mean, there's a, uh, you know, and you see it flowing out on the internet and I, you know, I, I respect the the journalism that, that you do digging into all this stuff, mad, mad respect on that. But yeah, there's definitely the rumors that have flowed around that, um, you know, that they got a million dollars 
um, you know, to to put the hit out on uh, on Pop. And so, um, yeah, I mean, you know, it, 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 he has nothing to lose at this point. So you never know what's going to happen. I mean, I'm seeing all kinds of things that, that Diddy needs to be nervous right now. And he, he might need to be. He might need to be. We'll see. Now, now, Suge Knight was a witness to this homicide. He's currently in California state prisons, and he's still got about 10 or 15 years left on his sentence. Is it possible that Nevada authorities try to convince Suge Knight to be a material witness and somehow negotiate that he gets lesser sentence, even though he's in a California prison? Can Nevada and California negotiate together on a prosecution? Absolutely. I mean, they can they can work together. And, you know, I could I could see them trying to do that. You know what I mean? And 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 obviously that would end up being um, a point of cross examination. Right. So they would be able to go after him, you know, just as you go after any um, snitch in that situation. You know, you're, you're walking them down all the incentive they have to, you know, to to do whatever they need to do to get out early, right? You're trying to get back to your girl. You're trying to get back to your kids. You want to smell the outside air. So you would do anything that the DA, you know, wants you to do in order to to get out, right? And so you're going after them. But, you know, I I, I say this all the time, you know, there, there's a lot of times there's, 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 there's nothing more credible than a snitch because they were right there, you know, whether it's, you know, a situation where you observed a crime you know, as a victim or you doing the dirt right alongside your homie, you know, <laughs> who more credible than the dude that was right on your side to, to then tell on you. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they, they they could try it. They could they could do that. I mean, you know, it's 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 one thing, you know, we talk about, you know, staying 10 toes, 10 toes down and and sticking to the code. But hey, man, once you've been in in prison for a while or if you if you're facing that time, hey, man, we see people sing all the time. So, I, you know, so 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 I could definitely see that happening. And 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 uh, and again, the, the authorities would have all the incentive in the world to work together to make that happen. And they can. Yeah, I, I can imagine if they tell Suge Knight, we'll take uh, 10 years off your sentence if you cooperated with this investigation. I mean, he has a, a boy that's like 10 years old. He uh, has a wife waiting for him. Uh, I know he doesn't. He, he's trying to get out. Mm -hmm. uh, so he might actually agree to cooperate. Who knows? Um, we'll find out. But it seems like they would need someone to be a witness um, just to say that he was there. I, I find it hard to believe that they can convict him on the circumstantial evidence and zero witnesses. It's probably possible. I'm sure if we dig deep, we might find a, a, a case like that. But zero witnesses and circumstantial evidence? Yeah. And, and you, you know, they can't just build a case off of your own words. So, you know, so they got to have something else. So, you know, you, you would think that that's, that's a play that, that they've already, you know, probably had in the works that, you know, on some, on some secret stuff that, that we wouldn't know about, but you have to think that they've already gone after Suge and, and, you know, maybe have, have lined that up. And, and that could be in part what's, what's taken a while, right. Him not wanting to do that initially or what have you and and then you know finally deciding that he would he would do it and so you know i see someone saying sugar sugar ain't no snitch but hey man i, I <laughs> it, it's 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 crazy because you see some i remember years ago when i was a you know a, a baby attorney working under another lawyer and there was a, a case where there was a bunch of of dudes who decided to to, to cooperate and take deals and i was going with this uh more senior attorney and we went in there and before she could say a word, she was he was like, I'm not 
that's I don't get down like this. If you if you even suggest that that's the direction you're going in, I'm going to take that as a threat and I will move accordingly. And I was like, damn, like, <laughs> I never, you know, I had never seen nobody talk like that. I mean, I was, you know, so that was kind of crazy. But um, but but you have people who really are, you know, going to stick to that and they are not going to snitch that, you know, they knew what they signed up for and that's not how they get down. But a lot of people are going to do that. You know, they realize, hey, I need to be in my kid's life. You know, I need to, you know, I'm trying to get back with my lady, you know, just being able to live life outside of outside of prison walls um, is very easy for somebody to end up deciding, hey, yeah, I'll take the stand. I'm, you know, it, it is what it is. I'm loyal to myself and my family. No doubt, man. Jamal Kersey, you got a YouTube channel yourself where you talk about the law. Let the people know where they can tap in and find you. Yes, sir. You can find me um, on my on my website is Kersey dot com otherwise you know if you if you search jamal kersey on youtube you can find me there alex so much for having me this was fun we're gonna have to do it again sometime and i want to thank all the listeners out there for tapping in with another fire episode of streets and scholars